The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm your co-host today, or your guest host today, Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community. Our President and CEO, Kim Tebeldo, will be with you next week. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are now offered at over 170 locations worldwide, online at www. Dot cancer support community and by a telephone helpline at 1-888-793-9355. And I will repeat that number later in the show so you'll have a chance to get a, something to write that down with. There are an estimated 14.5 million cancer survivors in the United States today. And by the year 2024, that number is expected to increase to about 19 million survivors. Concurrently, the National Cancer Institute estimates that the medical costs of cancer are projected to increase 39% by the year 2020. To help provide quality care for these 19 million survivors while also reining in the cost of care, the value of care patients receive must hold high significance. One of the main tools to help manage the quality of care for patients living with cancer is called a clinical pathway. And there is some uh, confusion between clinical pathways and clinical guidelines and um, a number of the tools that patients and physicians have when they're making their treatment decisions. So we are fortunate today to have with us Dr. Jennifer Malin, who is um, an MD, PhD, and is the medical director for um, oncology for their, the care management program at Anthem. In this role, she provides clinical leadership for all aspects of the delivery of care for Anthem members who have cancer or living with cancer. After graduating from Harvard University, Dr. Malin received her medical degree and doctorate in public health from UCLA. She's board certified in internal medicine and medical oncology and associate professor of medicine at the UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine. She's the author of more than 80 peer-reviewed articles and is widely recognized for her research on the quality of cancer care. She has served in a number of advisory boards and national committees, including ASCO, which is the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the Quality of Care Committee, and the National Quality Forum's Cancer Endorsement Management Project Steering Committee. Dr. Malin continues her clinical practice by volunteering at the Veterans Affair the Veterans Affairs in Greater Los Angeles and the, their healthcare system. She lives in Santa Monica with her husband and two children. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Malin. Thank you, Linda. It's my pleasure. So let's start by giving our listeners an overview of the topic and go over a few of the terms and phrases that we are used to hearing most often, but perhaps um, our listeners might not be. Um, so in general, 
how does a physician make a decision about a patient's treatment options? So I think the, the, the process um, usually starts with understanding the patient's condition. Um, and so that includes not only specifics about the patient's cancer, but also other important aspects about their health and their lifestyle. Um, and then in terms of what treatment is directed best at their cancer, um, usually that starts first with an idea of, of whether it should be um, surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy, and oftentimes it's a combination. And then there's really an understanding of the risks and benefits, trade-offs. You know, some treatments may offer huge benefit with very little side effects. Other treatments may have very little benefit with a lot of side effects. And the information that doctors use to, to, um, to understand those trade-offs come from scientific studies that have been published. We're, we're very fortunate that we're living in an era today where there's a, a lot that's been invested in medical science, and so we have much, much better information on which to make these kinds of recommendations for patients. The challenge, though, is that um, all of this information is coming out at a huge huge um, pace, and it's impossible for any physician to keep up with it. And so um, as, as a treating physician, we rely very heavily on some of the tools we're going to be talking about, such as guidelines and pathways, where groups of experts have gotten together and been able to kind of streamline some of the information that's been coming out in the medical literature so that when they're sitting down with a given patient, they have all the information that they need at their fingertips. So let's go over each of those um, just a little bit. So I know organizations like the American Society of Clinical Oncology and the National um, NCCN, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, which is a network of, for our listeners, a network of large um, hospital, academic, uh, and community-based organizations, and they both have clinical guidelines. So can you just um, talk a little bit about what a clinical guideline is? Sure. So um, there are a number of organizations, and I think you've named two that are featured most prominently as clinical guidelines. And there's a variety of ways that guidelines get developed. Um, Some get developed in a very systematic way, and ASCO is kind of a leader in this way of developing them. It's often called, they're often referred to as evidence-based guidelines um, because they start with us, with basically going through each of the scientific studies in detail, putting the information in tables, and then presenting that to a group of experts who come up with guidelines. Um, as, a, as it probably sounds, it's a very time-consuming process. And so other guideline um, groups sometimes take an approach that's called a consensus-based approach, where they rely on the experts on the wisdom of experts and their own personal experience and their knowledge of the, of the scientific studies to develop the guidelines. And that's the approach that NCCN favors because it's um, a little bit more nimble sometimes. Um, there's actually an organization that grades guidelines and gives them, and they actually call their grading system GRADE, G-R-A-D-E. So there's a lot of different layers to this, um, and you know, there's different ways of approaching it. And so the scientific rigor that goes into developing a clinical guideline, it sounds like it's pretty significant. 
Well, again, it, it varies it varies substantially. So you can have guidelines that have very little scientific rigor behind them, and you can have um, one, say, like ASCO and the National Cancer Institute have guidelines that are basically ongoing systematic updates of the literature. Okay. And talk to us about um, pathways then. How, what, what, what are pathways, especially relative to a guideline? So a guideline, a way to think about it is a guideline um, would be something along the lines of you should have three glasses of milk today. But if you took, if, if that was your information and you walked into a supermarket and you saw all the different kinds of milk that are on the shelf, it would be overwhelming to have to stand there and figure out which, you know, what uh, are you going to get organic, 2%, almond milk, soy milk, um, Jersey cow milk. There's so many different options. And so what a pathway does is it takes the, the very broad guidance in a guideline and tries to streamline in a way that a, a doctor can use it at the point of care. So in a survey that was published in the Journal of Oncology Practice a couple years ago, over 50% of practices said they use pathways. Some of them develop them themselves, and it's just based on a, you know, a process that they have at their um, weekly or monthly staff meetings where the doctors in that practice decide on what their pathway is. Um, and then there are other organizations that develop pathways. Some of the drug distributors have developed pathways as a, as a way to um, to provide a service for the for the doctors that they sell the drugs to. And then um, organizations like ours have um, gotten in the process of developing pathways so that we can help ensure that our members get access to quality care. Okay. And then, um, I can I can't speak to the process that all of them use. I can speak to the process that we use to develop our pathways. Um, so you know, as I mentioned, some of the some of the practices may just um, have more of a consensus process that they get together. Uh, I've had the. Um, the benefit, I guess, of over the years having served on a number of ASCO panels, including um, one of the ASCO guideline panels, and I actually helped early on to, to develop ASCO's first um, evidence-based quality measures. So as I was working at Anthem to develop our program, I really wanted to follow the, the kind of highest evidence-based standards for how to develop pathways. And so we use a process very similar to the ASCO process where we review the, the scientific studies, we put all the information to t- together in outcome summaries tables, um, and review that with a panel of external advisors who are, um, you know, highly regarded oncologists from leading cancer centers. And through that process, we are then able um, to develop a pathway, which we then put up on the um, on the web, so everyone can review it and and all. Any of the physicians in our um, program who are participating are welcome to send us feedback on the pathways. Mm-hmm. And so, um, how would how would our listeners, if they wanted to give you feedback, if it's available on the web, and and I know that our listeners can can take a look at it, if they wanted to give you feedback or had thoughts have thoughts on the the current pathways, how would they give you feedback? And do they have to be an Anthem customer? Anyone can give feedback, and basically there is an email address on the website on the pathways themselves that you can write your feedback to. Okay, great. And um, at some point, I'm just going to cue you up, um, Dr. Malin. Um, I'll have you give that that website address, and I'll let our listeners 
um, plan to get a, p- a piece of paper and a pencil to write that down as well, along with the phone number that I'll mention to them um, in just a little bit. Um, you know, when you say that, that you said that we gather the information, so uh, who, I, I understand that you have a, a panel of external advisors who um, are skilled and, and have a lot of experience in cancer, but when you're first putting the guidelines together, who do you have s- serving on those type of, of panels before you even take it to your experts? So it's so the internal staff that we have working on this are are um, board certified oncologists. We have oncology pharmacists and an onco- a very experienced oncology nurse that work together to summarize the evidence. And we don't create guidelines. This team actually starts from the national guidelines. So the ASCO and NCCN guidelines. There's also some other organizations that have put together terrific guidelines for certain specific cancer types. So we start from the guidelines, from the treatment recommendations in those guidelines, and then pull the scientific evidence that went into the developing those guidelines to review with the experts. Mm-hmm. Great. And then that process takes how long when you are gathering that and, and sending it to your experts? Well, we, we meet with our experts quarterly to review and update it. Um, I mean, the process of, of developing them is very time-consuming to pull all the information together. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds like uh, a, a lot of work. Um, we are going to go to a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. We've got to take this quick commercial break, and we'll be right back when we'll hear more from Dr. Malin. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. 
Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. My name is Linda House. I'm the Executive Vice President of External Affairs at the Cancer Support Community, and I am filling in today for Kim Tibaldo, our President and CEO, who will be with you next week. Today, we are talking about a really interesting and emerging, I, I say emerging, but Dr. Malin, I'm going to ask you um, to help remind me of, of when we first had clinical pathways. I would, I'm guessing maybe 10 years at the top, but you know, a new way of delivering care, and that's to provide physicians with tools and instruments to help them make uh, treatment decisions uh, around care for patients. So we're talking about, in particular, guidelines and clinical pathways, and Dr. Malin is here with us today from Anthem who Dr. Malin is an MD, PhD, and she is um, currently the medical director for oncology for care management at Anthem. So Dr. Malin, thank you for for joining us um, today. And I wanted to just talk with you about your cancer care quality program. So Anthem has a cancer care quality program. Talk to us about what that is, how it's being implemented, what do you hope to accomplish um, sure, thank you. I, I'd love to, the opportunity. So we started this program back in July, uh, and we started it for several different reasons. One of the, the important reasons is because th- despite the fact that we have some of the, the best evidence t- available today on how to treat cancer, studies still show that up to one in three patients don't necessarily get the optimal best treatment for them. And so we're trying to develop a program to um, make sure that our members have access to quality cancer care and to be able to provide them information about where, over time, about where the best places to go are for care and also to be able to support oncologists. So as all of the information is coming out so rapidly, 
it's often difficult for oncologists to stay up on what the latest evidence is, and that's where guidelines and pathways come into place as tools to help them. So our cancer care quality program includes a set of pathways that oncologists can use if they want to, and if they choose treatments that are on pathway, we provide additional support for treatment plan care coordination for them. Um, and there's several reasons for this, but the, the main reason is just there's a lot of complexity to taking care of patients with cancer, and so we wanted to make sure that the oncologist who were in our program had enough resources to be able to provide the type of care that patients really need. Mm-hmm. And so um, is there a process by which you disclose to patients if they are being treated according to a pathway? Well, the, so we as the insurer are not involved in the process of deciding what treatment is and so they um, they would get that information from their doctor in terms of you know how what treatment their doctor feels is most important. Um, if the patients are you know if our members are interested in the pathways, there's certainly the information is out there, and they can um, certainly review it with their doctors. But it's not something where we tell a patient, oh, here's the pathway, or we you know we communicate with our member, here's the pathway, make sure your doctor treats you with the pathway. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, one of the one of the difficult questions, and I know you and I have had conversations um, about this before, but just so just to clarify, so you if 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 path, pathways are designed to help streamline the process and create another tool for a patient, um, and so you're 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 paying the physician to have a patient on a pathway, does but you don't pay for care coordination if a patient is not on a pathway. And to me, that seems a little counterintuitive that if, you know, care coordination, I think we all agree that care coordination is important. So if care coordination is important, why would you limit it to just the people on pathways? Um, that's a really, really good question. And I think it gets to the way we've been paying for oncology care in the United States so far. So both Medicare and most private insurance companies pay for all the care coordination that happens primarily through the profit margin on the drugs that they pay to the physicians. So it's something that most people aren't aware of, but the, the most of the money to an oncology practice comes from administering chemotherapy, and the more expensive the drug, the more money that flows into the practice. And so a lot of policymakers have raised a lot of concerns about this, that this may provide, you know, not, in, not willingly, but does provide a, a situation where in order for a practice to really be able to, be, to pay all their staff, they have to use very expensive therapies, which have higher co-pays for our members, even if they're not the best option for, for our members. And so when a, when a treatment is off-pathway, it it's generally off-pathway either because the guidelines don't recommend it, because there's not enough evidence to support it, that it's not a good quality treatment, or sometimes it's not on the pathway because it's more expensive than other options that work just as well. So, so in theory, then, physicians would have the money that they need for care coordination through the cost of the product versus you having to supplement it through a care coordination fee if they're on a pathway. Exactly. Okay. And so is there, the, is there the opposite concern that physicians might put patients on pathways because of the care management fee? 
Well, we hope that they put patients on pathways. These pathways are, are designed to be the best care. Um, you know, I get my insurance through Anthem, and many of my friends and family members have their um, healthcare coverage through Anthem, and I would want to be treated on a pathway. If my mother had cancer, I would want her to be treated on one of our pathways. So I don't see that as a problem. I see that as actually a good thing. And then um, I think today, and correct me if I'm wrong, but today chemotherapy is the only treatment choice on your pathways or a part of the cancer quality, cancer care quality program. <laughs> That's a mouthful. Yeah. Um, so is I mean is that is that accurate? And um, what about other what about other areas of cancer care that we know are expensive and particularly around fee for service, like diagnostics and and those sort of things. <laughs> So we, we, we are looking over time to potentially expand pathways beyond just chemotherapy. Um, actually, in, in Canada, um, the Ontario province of Canada has just recently um, done very global pathways that their cancer centers are now trying to use. So we're watching that, um, you know, with a lot of interest. We already have a program called the Imaging Cost and, and Quality Program um, that um, that is part of our, our program to manage imaging costs. And in that program, actually, if a member um, has a CT scan ordered, and this would be whether it was for a cancer diagnosis or any other diagnosis, if there's another center that can do the imaging study at a lower cost and the member has a lower copay, we will actually call them up and give them the opportunity to change centers for their scan. They don't have to, but, um, but uh, about one in five members chooses to change because they'll get a lower copay um, at a lower cost center. And the, and the savings can be quite substantial to them. So we, we have different programs in place currently for imaging, but I agree that I think there would be um, some advantages potentially to trying to streamline and, and have a pathway that encompassed both imaging as well as some of the cancer therapeutics. Okay. Well, and another thing that, that we think about, and I know that, that we have uh, talked about this before as well, um, but as our listeners know and as you know, we are um, we're, we're keen on making sure that psychosocial care and support is a part of comprehensive cancer care. And so when I think about um, the care coordination fee that you um, currently pay for you know, physicians who follow pathways, is there some element of psychosocial support or social and emotional support that is a natural part of the expectations for that care coordination or mandated by you? Or is that something that um, you rely on the physician to implement? I think we, so we certainly hope that physicians are providing attention to psychosocial support. Um, I think the challenge that we have is that there's no way currently for us to measure whether or not that's going on. And that's something that we're, you know, we're, we're interested in trying to see over time, you know, not only for psychosocial, um, support and, and, you know, helping patients with distress, but also shared decision making is very important. And we, we're looking to, um, figure out how we can also measure whether or not that kind of shared decision-making is happening. Mm-hmm. And then the way, that, um, the, the way that you can monitor following the pathways is you have access to the billing statements, right, that lists the, the drugs that are prescribed or the services that are prescribed. Right. So for for the pathway, they um, come into our website, 
Uh-huh. And so they enter information about both the type of cancer, stage, important biomarkers on the cancer, as well as the cancer treatment. And then in, um, when we get a claim for the treatment that the member received, that will also match the, claim, the treatment that they entered into the portal. For things like um, social support, those are not things that are um, billed for specifically mm-hmm. on a form. It's part of the reason that you need a care coordination fee. Mm-hmm. And it's also um, not something that necessarily just having them attest to on a web portal would ensure that it was being done in a way that really met the member's needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's that, that's helpful, and I think especially for our listeners who care so much about this, and you know, it really helps them sort of think about the conversations that they have with their healthcare team um, about comprehensive care, and it's something I know that we'll get into in one of the next uh, the next couple of segments. So, so given the fact that you collect all this information and it's electronic, does that help in any way generate a survivorship care plan? Can you just sort of you know spit out a survivorship care plan from the information that you get that would be helpful to patients longer term? It is, it is something that we're looking into. We will have that kind of information. Um, we need to follow it along first and make sure that what's being entered is actually what the treatment is that the member received and that the data is accurate. But it is something that we've been talking about, um, you know, both providing to the members as well as maybe to their primary care physicians. And it's also something um, we have a program called Journey Forward that we've worked on in collaboration with UCLA and Genentech and several other organizations that helps mem- um, helps anyone actually anyone can access the Journey Forward website or the app now. There's a My Care Plan app in the iTunes store, and so we're looking at possibly ways that we might be able to link the two up so that our members could get the information directly from the web portal into their app or into the um, to the website to create their own care plan. That's great. And um, I'll just warn our listeners that we will give you these resources um, upcoming. So please grab a a piece of paper and a pen. We are going to go to a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This episode is sponsored in part by ASI, Genentech, and Amgen. We will be back shortly with Dr. Malin to learn more about the quality work with uh, their program. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you a breakaway from cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. 
Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I am Linda House. I'm your guest host today, filling in for Kim Tibaldo, our President and CEO, who will be back with you next week. Today we are talking with Dr. Jennifer Malin, the Medical Director for Oncology, for care management at Anthem, and also a practicing medical oncologist. And we've been talking about clinical pathways, clinical guidelines, clinical pathways, ways in which physicians have access to tools that would help them make uh, treatment decisions, and then um, also reimbursement for services like care coordination. And in this particular segment, Dr. Malin, I would love to focus on quality, which I know from your bio in the, in the introduction, um, you are an expert in quality and you've done a lot of work in that particular area. So we would like to just talk about your particular program, which actually has the word quality in it. And um, can you explain to our listeners how we measure quality cancer care today? There are a number of of approaches to measuring quality of care for cancer, and quality can be measured um, both in terms of the services that an institution provides. And so um, Blue Cross Blue Shield Association has centers of excellence for transplant and cancers, 
and that's one way to measure quality. There are also measures of quality in terms of what um, the physicians um, and staff at an office are doing, and if they're doing the, if they're providing care that's evidence based. And most of those quality measures, um, when they've been implemented, have been very hard to implement because they require reviewing medical records, and it's very time consuming. And so people are looking to try to develop ways of measuring quality that rely more on data like insurance companies have, like claims data, but the problem there is we haven't had the clinical data. And so one of the really terrific things about our program that I'm very excited about is that because the physician's office staff will be giving information about the type of cancer and the stage, we'll be able to link that with the claims data and be able to start to measure quality of care in a way that doesn't require time-consuming review of medical records, which is the way it's had to be done in the past. And um, what, are the, what are the elements of quality care? What are the things that we measure specifically? Um, so the... The, the main things that, I mean, there are a lot of things that can get get measured. So, mm-hmm. But when we're looking at the quality of care in terms of did the patient get the right treatment, which is usually something that's very important to our members um, as well as to the community at large and to our clients, is we want to know that, that the patients were, were, were given the, the appropriate treatment for their cancer. So that involves... Um, Really just looking to see did they, did they get, you know, for a given cancer, given what the evidence and the guidelines say are the best treatments, did they get those treatments? And then there are other things that are important measures of quality as well. So, um, many people think that how often patients are hospitalized is an important measure of quality. Um, so that's something that we're going to be measuring and providing back to practices for them to see how they're doing compared to other practices, um, as well as ER visits, um, use of hospice care for patients who succumb to their disease is another very important quality measure. Um, and then eventually, one of the things that we hope to incorporate that we aren't today would be a measure of patient experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I think about is um, the, the current measures of um, survival, overall survival for patients. And I know that through the Commission on Cancer's website that hospitals certainly provide that information and our listeners can query that at any time on their website so that they can determine if their care center, you know, how they rank against other care centers. But, you know, I think about the future of cancer care. And as you know, we have a a cancer experience registry where we have now about 7,500 people who have shared their experience with us. Um, And then we've also done some work around value. And, you know, as as, as patients are talking um, more and more about becoming more integrated in that treatment decision and, um, Really, their definition of value being around quality of life as well as quantity of life. I just wondered what your thoughts were on what quality measures of the future would look like specific to those type of survival metrics. Well, so there's been a lot of interest in using survival measures as quality measures. The challenge is is that it's very hard to use survival as a quality measure because Fortunately, for most people, you're, they're living now four or five years. And so care changes so much that by the time you have the survival data, the, the qual, everything that we would consider quality of care has changed so much in the meantime, you can't really use it to compare centers. 
Um, and the American College of Surgeons, the Commission on Cancer, has actually asked centers to pull down their survival statistics for that reason because that they, they aren't really valid measures of quality today. Um, there's a lot of interest in trying to measure symptoms and symptom outcomes as a measure of quality. The, the challenge is just that the science isn't there right now because we can't tell whether someone who's seen a doctor who and has more pain, whether that was because the doctor didn't do a good job managing the pain or they just happen to have more pain because of their cancer. And so, you know, I think over time people are hopeful that we can start to measure those kinds of outcomes to understand the quality of different practices. But right now the, the best measures we have are really around whether or not patients got the care they were supposed to get, um, if they had pain, did they get pain medicine, and then uh, finally measures of patient experience, which are um, more global than, than the management of specific symptoms. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so when you think about pathways in quality cancer care, you know, is there data that exists currently that would demonstrate that, that pathways add to improved quality? Well, as you mentioned, pathways have been around for approximately 10 years. And the main outcomes of pathways, so that was U.S. Oncology was one of the organizations that first implemented pathways. And what their data showed was that when, um, when they implemented pathways, they had um, less um, inappropriate care for patients, so they had le- fewer patients getting treatments that they shouldn't have been getting, so that's a good thing. We want a measure of quality is patients getting the most appropriate care. Um, they had the same overall survival, so it didn't improve survival, was the same overall survival, and they had, and this gets to the issue of value that you mentioned at the beginning of this, of our time together, they had 30% lower cost. So that's just one study, and it's certainly something that we'll be interested in looking at in our data after we have a couple of years of data so that we can see what people's outcomes are. But the available data to date shows that that Pathways programs, like the U.S. Oncology program, like the one that was implemented in Michigan a few years ago, do improve the quality of care and possibly lower the cost of care as well. Okay, Dr. Malin, you just um, referred to a U.S. Oncology study and a Michigan study. Just for um, our listeners, can you just give them a little hint of what, what those were? Sure, I can um, talk about them. So the, the U.S. Oncology um, study that I referenced was basically when U.S. Oncology about 10 years ago first implemented pathways in their in their practices, and they provide care for about 20% of the cancer patients treated across the country. So they're a very large group. And they found that comparing the patients who were treated on pathway um, versus those that were treated off pathway, that the survival was the same, but that there was fewer hospital admissions and lower cost for the patients treated on pathway. The Michigan program was done with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, and that's now about five years old. And you can read about some of their um, quality outcomes in health affairs. They, they publish their results in health affairs. But in addition to increasing um, the practices following pathways, so they by the second year, 80% of the practices participating in the Michigan program were following pathways. They also increased 
their performance on a number of other quality measures. And Dr. Doug Blaney, who's um, currently the chair at Stanford's Cancer Center, but at the time was at University of Michigan Cancer Center, has published those results. Mm-hmm. Great. So it sounds like we do have some some data that would help us all of the collective us, all of us sort of think about pathways and the impact that it has on overall quality of care. And those are two great studies to to reference and get a start. Thank you for that. Um, we are going to go to our last commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, Purdue Pharma, and Greenville Health System, where we have a cancer support community at Greenville Cancer Center. We will return with our final segment right after the break. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Communities, Frankly Speaking About Cancer Series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar, to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts, and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs here at the Cancer Support Community, filling in for Kim Tebaldo, our president and uh, CEO, who will be with you next week. And we've had a great conversation with Dr. Jennifer Malin from Anthem about clinical pathways and some of the new tools available to physicians and patients as they think about uh, treatment care planning. And I would love to spend the last few minutes we have today, Dr. Malin, talking about patient resources. And as you know, um, we and a number of our advocacy partners really um, support the concept of patients being equal participants in their care. And um, when we think about patients being a part of the decision of going on a pathway or not, um, do you know if patients know they're being treated on pathways or how, and I know that you addressed the how of that earlier, but, um, you know, we have data that would, that would essentially say that when patients are asked if they're aware that they're being treated by a guideline, 49% say yes. If we ask if patients are aware that they're being treated by a pathway, that number drops to about 15%. Um, so how, how, how can we as a community um, start to, to right-side that equation a little bit? Well, I, I would say that I, I wonder if that's the right question to, for patients to be asked. I, I think it's much more important for patients to know why their doctor selected the treatment they did mm-hmm. and why that treatment is the best treatment for them compared to the other options. Uh, if you look at NCCN guidelines, for example, for non-small cell lung cancer, there are, if, if for patients who don't have the mutations that would guide them to specific therapies, there are 62 treatment options that are all appropriate according to that guideline. And so that doesn't, you know, having patients know whether or not they were treated according to that guideline doesn't really tell you very much about whether that patient got the best care for them and whether they participated in that decision fully and appropriately. Um, For pathways, we try to streamline that process a little bit and give patients information. But again, there are so many different ways that people can, quote, think about a pathway. And as I mentioned, over half of the practices in the country already use pathways, and they may be just ones that they developed in-house. So I don't know that that's really very helpful. I would want to make sure that patients know what treatment they're getting, was there another option available, why the doctor recommended the option that they got, Um, if the treatment they're getting is not on a pathway, why did the doctor recommend the non-pathway option? And then finally, 
what's their copay going to be, and what are any are the long-term side effects that they might expect from treatment. Mm-hmm. So it almost sounds like these are questions that patients should be asking and conversations that patients should be asking before a treatment decision is made, pathway or no pathway. Definitely, yes. As, as they're having that discussion with the doctor and the doctor's saying, I think this is the treatment for your cancer, um, they should, should be asking those questions. And I think those are the kinds of things that your Open to Options program really supports patients in asking when they get, go to that visit. Yeah, and for our listeners, um, our Open to Options program is a treatment decision counseling model that is done with one of our healthcare professionals, either on the phone or in one of our affiliates, so that uh, patients can go back to their healthcare provider with a list of questions um, and and topics that are important to the patient to have uh, in a discussion with the healthcare team as they're thinking about treatment options. So, Jen, thank you. Thank you for mentioning um, that. We appreciate it. And I know that there are um, other tools available. We also have an app called My Cancer Manager where patients can document essentially their, their journey through treatment and diag- their side effects and questions that they might have and take back to their physician. But I know that you mentioned earlier a couple of other resources and I'm just wondering now that people have had time to get a piece of paper if, um, if you could repeat those for us. Sure. So, um, so there. I think we mentioned earlier Journey Forward, and there's now a Journey Forward app that's called My Care Plan that helps uh, a patient put together a, a survivorship care plan with their doctor. So um, there's an online version at the Journey Forward website as well as the app. We also have a new um, symptom management app that's available online, and. Um, I honestly, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, so I'll have to give it to you. Maybe you can post it on your website. But those are good resources, and it's been, um, it was an app developed out of the great work that Drs. Barbara and Bill Givens at Michigan State University did to develop a, a symptom management program to help mem- patients who are going through cancer treatment. Um, the other two resources that I'll mention is the, um, the National Cancer Institute um, does an ongoing update of all cancer treatments, and it's done very systematically and evidence-based approach, and they have both a physician as well as a layperson version of those, and those are available on their website. And then finally, as I mentioned earlier in, the, in this conversation, our website for our um, Pathways program is available to anyone who wants to look at it. It's really geared for our physicians and their practices, but anyone's welcome to access the website and look at it and look at the Pathways and download them, and that's at www.cancercarequalityprogram.com. www.cancercarequalityprogram.com. Yes. Right. Got it. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, you know, we, before we before we uh, close the show today, I'm just wondering. Um, you are a practicing physician, and oftentimes patients and families are a little bit nervous about raising these kind of questions with their physician. Um, I mean, particularly, you know, I'd like I would like something that doesn't cause neuropathy versus something that does cause neuropathy, or can we change my schedule to this versus that? Um, as a practicing physician, can you just give our listeners some advice about how to bring those issues to you? Because I know that you want to hear them. <laughs> so what's the best way to, to raise those kind of things with you? Well, I think when you're having discussions about um, the treatments up front, um, you want to, to 
know what the side effects are and you want to know what the different options are. Um, and I, I don't know if neuropathy is something that many of your listeners are familiar with. Um, neuropathy is one of the many different side effects that these different cancer treatments can cause. So neuropathy is numbness in the fingertips. Um, and this is actually one of the reasons some of the, the, um, the, the symptom management information that we talked about is so important. I finally remembered the app. It's called Self-Care During Cancer Treatment. So one of the things with, with symptoms like neuropathy that are important is not just when you're getting, um, when you're picking your treatment, but it involves the, the appointments with you have with your doctor every three to four weeks while you're on treatment because you can look at the studies and in a study, you know, it may be that, 5% or 10% of patients experience neuropathy or 5 or 10% of patients experience such debilitating fatigue that they couldn't get out of bed. But the reality is for the patient sitting in front of you, you never know exactly what's going to happen to them. So you can talk about these risks and trade-offs with them, but you don't know if they're going to be the patient who's going to do really well or the one who's going to have the side effects. And so the way you, you, you learn about that together is every appointment talking about what their experience has been and then switching treatments if they're not having a good response. Mm-hmm. Great. And, and it's either really way, important. I mean, either way, it's up. really important that patients share their concerns with you as a physician. Yes. And, and I would hope that their physicians are asking them about that. Yes. Right. Yeah. But if not... <laughs> If not, raise it, please. Um, Dr. Malin, we are within a minute of close today, so I just wanted to see if you had any final thoughts that you'd like to share for with our listeners. Well, I, I really want to thank you for the opportunity to, to be on your program. I think these issues are so important, and we really want to work together to improve both the quality of care that our members and patients overall with cancer receive, as well as the patient experience. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Great. Well, thank you so much for being uh, with us today and and helping us to understand this important topic. I know that you've done a a lot of work um, and spent a lot of your personal time helping, um, helping us understand how to best communicate with patients. So we appreciate that. For our listeners, if you have an idea for an episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer, please email them to us at news at cancersupportcommunity.org. Again, it's news at cancersupportcommunity.org if uh, you have something that you would like for us to cover on the show. For more information about the cancer support community, the educational services we provide, and I also say the partners with whom we work, and you've heard some of the resources mentioned today, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Our email, I'm sorry, our website is www.cancersupportcommunity.org, and you are more than welcome to call us at 888 888- Seven nine three nine three five five. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org.